Okay, we're continuing together our study in chapter 31, which deals with the subject of eschatology. Chapters 31 and 32 deal with eschatology. Eschatology is just a theological term that refers to the study of last things, just like theology refers to the study of God. Theos is the Greek word for God, and ology is the word for study. And um, in the same way, um, bibliology is the study of the Bible, and soteriology is the study of salvation. Well, eschatology comes from the Greek word eschaton, which is the word for last, um, and it's a study of last things. And so um, we see that the subject of eschatology is critically important because it is the culmination of soteriology. That is, the doctrine of salvation has a goal or a destination. And what eschatology does is it describes the goal or the destination of salvation. And so when we're saved, uh, we're involved in a process that has a conclusion. And eschatology simply describes that conclusion. So as Christians, we can't run around and say eschatology is unimportant. It's critically important. That's the whole conclusion of our salvation. So it's imperative that we be aware of and up to speed on how all of this works. Now, in chapter 31... Um, the authors of our confession deal with what's called personal eschatology. That is, what happens to us as individuals uh, when we die prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what happens to us as individuals uh, when he does return. So, uh, is speaking about uh, our, our individual outcomes whereas corporate eschatology refers to the outcomes of the nations and, and um, the eternal state and all of those things in chapter 32, the last judgment in essence. So what we want to do then is, um, is start in on paragraph one. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, went over the outline to the chapter. We passed it out and um, we gave an overview of what was there. So today we want to begin to um, examine our outline and uh, the, the phrases that are contained here in these paragraphs and demonstrate their support from uh, individual passages of Scripture. So uh, in the first place then, we want to deal with the state of the bodies and souls of men after death. And then secondly, we're going to be dealing with the state of the bodies and souls of men at the last day. So uh, first of all, then, in paragraph one, the state of the bodies and souls of men after death. Now, um, people die every day. In fact, I think one person dies somewhere in the world every three seconds. Um, and so consequently, there's a lot of death going on right now. And the question is, what happens to people who die, both saved and unsaved? Well, uh, our paragraph answers that. Notice paragraph one. It says, the bodies of men. Now, it's not talking about Christians in particular here. It's talking about people in general, all men, saved and unsaved. All right? It says, the bodies of men after death return to dust and seek 
corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. And then they talk about the souls of the righteous, and then they talk about the souls of the wicked. Now, when we're talking about this issue of death, we have to ask ourselves, what is death? And the answer is, death is separation. Okay, life is union. And when you keep those two words in mind, separation equals death and union equals life, it helps you a great deal to rightly understand what the Bible is talking about when it talks about life and death. Now, let's turn, please, in our Bibles to James chapter 2. The book of James, the second chapter, and it describes what death is. In James chapter 2 and verse 26, James 2.26, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. In other words, if our profession of faith is not joined together with good works, then that faith, whatever it may be, is not living faith. It's not life-giving faith. It's not faith that's alive. Uh, In the same way, when a body is separated from its soul, it's dead. And so clearly what James is telling us here is that we are dipartite beings. That is, we only have two parts. We have a body and we have a soul. We have a material part, we have an immaterial part, and we can't be divided into any more parts than two. Okay? So, for example... Soul doesn't have a separate existence from the conscience, which has a separate existence from the spirit, which has a separate existence from the will or something like that. All those terms um, are all a reference to various functions of that one immaterial part that we have. So we have a body, we have a soul. When the body and soul separate from each other, that's what is called death. All right? So... When people die, their souls leave their bodies, and death is a state of separation. That's physical death. We talk about spiritual death. That's when body and soul are separated from God. Okay? People are born spiritually dead, though physically alive. They're physically alive because body and soul are together. They're spiritually dead because body and soul are separated from God. And then, of course, eternal death is when you are permanently, forever separated from God in hell. And, of course, what is life? Life is when your body and soul are joined together, uh, and that occurs at conception. And then um, spiritual life is when your body and soul are joined to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So life, spiritual life, is union between 
our body and souls, and God. And that's why the Bible talks about us being in Christ or in union with Christ. Uh, what was the verse we uh, taught on last Sunday evening? 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. And so effectual calling eventuates in life when we are brought into fellowship or union with Christ. Okay? Any questions about that concept? All right. Well, let's talk then about the state. What happens to these two parts, the body and the soul, when they separate? Well, we know very well what happens to bodies, don't we? We see what happens to them. Okay? Our confession says, the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. Now, this was... This business of our bodies returning to dust and seeing corruption is what God promised would be the consequence of sin clear back in Genesis. So turn please to Genesis 2. And uh, you'll recall that when God was issuing um, his uh, permissions and his prohibitions to Adam... In Genesis 2, in verse 17, um, well, we'll start out at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so God threatened death upon the commission of sin. And, of course, we know the sad story that Adam and Eve did sin against God. They did eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God issues uh, the fulfillment of his promise in the form of his curse uh, when he said in chapter 3 and in verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat thy bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou hast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so we see in chapter 2 and verse 7 that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And then he uh, put into that body a living soul. And it was the union of that soul and body that caused Adam to be alive in the first place. Well, when Adam died... That soul left that body, and that body went right back to the elements that it was shaped and formed out of, namely, out of the dust of the earth. All right, so anyway, that's what happens to bodies. And they are a foreshadowing and a picture of the constant corruption uh, of fire and worm upon those who dwell uh, eternally in hell. And... Um, not a pretty picture at all. Um, let's turn, please, to Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. This isn't just an Old Testament doctrine. Um, Acts chapter 13. Uh, Paul is, is preaching at Antioch. And uh, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And um, it says in verse 34 of Acts 13, And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, 
He said, On this wise I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. That is, Jesus' body didn't rot in the grave. Why? Because it was raised after three days, right? Didn't have much time to decay. And uh, verse 36, For David, after that he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. So that's the state of the body after death. It goes back to dust. Um, yeah, mommy, mommy, there's somebody under my bed, and I don't know if they're coming or going. All right, but what happens to their souls after death? That's the big question. Uh, we know from personal observation what happens to the body after death. We've seen uh, too many examples of dead bodies to not believe what the Bible says about that subject. But the question then is what happens to the souls? Well, the answer is, is that they are eternally conscious. That is, the soul never sleeps or ceases to exist. And all souls of all people return to God. Now, our confession says, but their souls which neither die nor sleep. That is, the soul doesn't undergo any more separations once it's separated from the body. It doesn't die, nor does it sleep. It doesn't go into a state of unconsciousness. Having an immortal subsistence or an immortal existence immediately returns to God who gave them. So when someone dies, of course, their body is left behind, but their soul leaves this earth and it goes immediately into the presence of God as a conscious, undestroyable entity. Now, let's look at a number of passages in the Bible that indicate that when we die, we don't go into some kind of a limbo, some kind of a coma, some kind of a sleep. We are eternally conscious. Luke 23, 43. Gospel of Luke, verses 23-43. It's a very familiar passage. We preached on it not too long ago. And uh, it's the story of the thief on the cross, the one who repented. And you recall that he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said to him in Luke 23-43, Verily I say unto you, Today... Thou shalt be with me in paradise. And of course, we know from the remainder of the narrative, they both died that day. And so what Jesus was saying is that there isn't going to be any long period of unconsciousness between the time you die and the time that you're in heaven. And so when Jesus died, his soul immediately went to heaven to be with God. And this man's soul also immediately went to heaven to be with Jesus. He said, today you will be with me in paradise, not um, thousands of years from now when the resurrection occurs, then you'll be with me. But today, right now, uh, as soon as you die, we're going together. Um, imagine that being personally conducted by Christ uh, to heaven. Um, then Matthew 17 Verses 1 through 5. Matthew 17, 1 through 5. 
It says here, Matthew 17, 1-5, And after six days, Mount of Transfiguration is the story. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white of light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Now, Moses, of course, had died 2,000 years earlier. And Elijah, um, roughly 1,000 years earlier, had been taken up in a chariot uh, of fire, you'll recall. He was one of two individuals who didn't die, but was taken body and soul into heaven. Um, Enoch was the other one. And the point being, with reference to Moses, is that he died an ordinary death. He went up uh, to Mount Nebo. He saw the promised land. He died, and the Bible says God buried his body on the mountain. Nobody knows where his grave is to this day, but God buried his body on the mountain. Nevertheless, even though his body is still on Mount Nebo somewhere, God knows where, um, okay, you're probably right. I think I'm wrong about that. Look it up. It's in the last chapters of Deuteronomy. I think you're right. Is it? Okay. Well, I snuck in there and changed your Bible last night. Yeah, it's Nebo, isn't it? All right, fine. In any event, um, his body's there, but, but his soul is conscious. Do you see it? I mean, Moses is standing there talking to Jesus. So obviously his soul isn't asleep. It's been in heaven all this time, conscious existence, and it came uh, like... Clearly, after death, they're conscious, they're aware, they're alert, they're awake. Let's look at Revelation chapter 6. Is that a special occasion? Well, um, my understanding, Roy, is that Elijah had uh, the body that he had on earth, and it was like the bodies of those who are alive at the second coming of Christ will be. But what kind of a body did Moses have at that point in time? And the answer is, it was some temporary um, manifestation that was given to him for that moment for those people, but it wasn't his resurrected body. And the reason why we know that is because um, no one's body is resurrected till everyone's body is resurrected. So the kind of body he had would be the kind of body that an angel would have when they appeared in the Old Testament. Angels don't have bodies, okay? They're spirits, but when they appear, they look like people. And if you reached out and touched one, I suppose they would be solid, but it's some sort of a temporary means of uh, vehicle of manifestation. So that would be the kind of body Moses had. Elijah, on the other hand, would have the real deal, uh, his own personal body. All right, um, <clears throat> Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. Uh, 
Yeah. It says, Revelation 6 and verse 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls, notice no bodies, just souls, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. These people are martyrs. These people were beheaded for standing up for Christ. And... um, or killed somehow. I'm not saying they necessarily were beheaded. Um, But it says uh, they were killed, slain. And and it says in verse 10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? White robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. Now, once again, here's a scene in heaven where souls are there, they're conscious, they're asking God, how long is it going to be before he brings his, his final day of judgment? And clearly, there are still people alive on the earth while this is going on, because God is saying to them, well, wait a while, there's still some folks on the earth, that uh, have yet to be slain and, and come up here. And ultimately, that will be taken care of. And notice it says, um, and white robes were given unto every one of them. Now, these white robes uh, are some form of, of temporary clothing for their souls while they are in heaven. And, uh, you know, As we said before, for a soul not to have a body is like for a body not to have clothing. It is unclothed. The body is the the clothing of the soul. And so God has given them some temporary means of of covering for their souls uh, in the form of these robes that are mentioned here. And perhaps that's what... Uh, Moses had when he appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say clearly. But what it does say clearly here is that they're conscious, they're aware, they're talking to God while people are still living on the earth. Uh, Right now, we're living on the earth. Some of us are going to be killed for the testimony of Christ. Um, I'm speaking of the church collectively throughout the world. Um, And... um, and souls in heaven are going to be uh, uh, seeing and, and, and experiencing that. Okay, the final passage we want to look at is Luke 16, 22 to 31. Now, this very familiar passage, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And um, the reason why I say story is because that's what it is. It's not a parable. Okay? This is a story of two actual people. One of them has a name. You'll notice in parables, names are never given to the characters in parables. But here, one of the individuals is named. And so, even though in, in the context, he is talking in parables... Uh, This is not a parable. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man 
which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar uh, named Lazarus. These are certain individual specific people that he's talking about here. Um, named Lazarus, which was laid at, at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed of the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, rememberest that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented, etc. So we see here that Abraham, of course, whose body is still on the earth, is conscious and alive and talking. And of course, Lazarus is conscious and alive and aware. He can go and do stuff. And the rich man, of course, is conscious and alive and aware. So the Bible is just loaded with evidence about what happens in this intermediate state between our death and the second coming of Christ when the resurrection occurs. And what it says repeatedly and, in, and indisputably is that the souls of all men, both saved and lost, immediately um, uh, go into either heaven or hell and they are conscious awaiting the day of judgment. Now, we know that this is not describing the last time because notice what the rich man says in verse 27. He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So clearly people are still living on the earth. People still have opportunities for salvation. Um, and so this is clearly not uh, after the final judgment. This is during the time before that. Um, and Abraham said, verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And so he says, yeah, they can be saved, but uh, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't hear the one rose from the dead. He says, in verse 31, and he says, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. So clearly, these people are separated from their bodies. They're in heaven. They're conscious. They're talking. They're interacting back and forth. Um, the doctrine of soul sleep is, 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 a, is a false doctrine. Now, uh, the question is, is why do uh, groups like the Seventh-day Adventists teach that uh, when you die, you go unconscious and everybody stays unconscious until the resurrection in, in the face of these passages. Well, there are a few passages in the Old Testament, notably in the book of Psalms, that say uh, that when people die, they go to sleep and they know nothing. The dead know nothing, it says. And the simple, simple explanation for those types and categories of passages is that from the human perspective, they know nothing. Now, when you see someone dead um, and you go up and you try to um, get them to interact with the world that you're in, um, they, they appear to be asleep. They appear to know nothing. They appear to be unconscious. Um, you don't get very far with a dead body. 
Uh, you can't get it to do anything or to interact in any way. And so from our perspective, the dead know nothing about this world and our life. But it doesn't mean that they are unconscious. So those passages are simply speaking phenomenologically. They're speaking of things as they appear from a human perspective to be, not as they are in reality when you include spiritual perspective. So uh, from a human perspective, we would say, God isn't in this room. We can't see him, taste him, touch him, smell him, or feel him. So, you know, we would say, God isn't here. We would say, God is in heaven. And yet, from a spiritual perspective, we would certainly say, God is here. And so, in the same way, from a human perspective, the dead don't know anything. From a human perspective, the dead are asleep. From a human perspective, the dead are unconscious. It's what you see when you go to a funeral and look at a body. But you're just simply looking at it phenomenologically. You're not looking at it in the totality of reality. And in the totality of reality, those people are very much awake, alert, aware, conscious, and experiencing uh, either the bliss of heaven or the damnation of hell. Now, there's a last verse we want to look at, and that is Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, and verse 7. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Now, it's talking here about the process of the decay of the human body and death. Okay? And it says in verse chapter 12 and verse 1, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while you're good and healthy, because the evil years are drawing near when you're not going to be good and healthy. That's the essence of verse 1. Okay? Now it talks about the loss of vision. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, uh, your hands start shaking as you get older. And the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few. The grinders are your teeth, okay? They stop chewing because they're falling out of your head. And those that look out of the windows be darkened. Your eyes get cataracts and begin to dim. And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. And he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. Old people are afraid of any little thing. And all the daughters of music shall be brought low. He can't listen. He can't hear anymore. His ear hearing is going to, to, to pieces. Verse 5, also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way. Old people are beset with fears. And the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden. You, you can't pick up and carry a grasshopper. You're so weak. And desire shall fail. Uh, that is the desire for... Um, anything for life, money, sex, whatever the nat food, the natural desires are that we have, those all fail. Because man goes to his long home. Your long home is the home you go to after you die. That's the home you stay at for a very long time, for all eternity. The home you have now is not your long home. It's your temporary home. Okay? And the mourners go about the streets. That's the funeral procession. 
wherever the silver cord be loosed and the golden bowl be broken, where the pitcher be broken at the fountain. And so this loosing of the cord, this breaking of the bowl and the pitcher is the picture of the breaking of the body. Remember Jesus says, this is my body which is broken for you. And how is it broken? Well, it was broken in that when you, when you break something, it falls into pieces, right? And when your body is broken, that means it, it, it's broken apart from your soul. Okay? It says in verse 6, Wherever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. That's what happens to the body. And the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So what happens to the body? It goes to the dust. What happens to the spirit? It goes back to God. So whether you're saved or whether you're unsaved, it all happens to everybody in exactly the same way. Death is the separation of the body and the soul. As the body breaks down, eventually it ceases to function, can no longer be a habitation for the soul. The soul must leave it. It does leave it, and it returns to God. And so every saved person, every unsaved person, their soul immediately goes to God, and God then disposes of the souls of the righteous and of the wicked separately. And that's what we're going to talk about next time, the state of the souls of the righteous and then the state of the souls of the wicked. It says, the souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into paradise, where they are with Christ. Behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. The souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Beside these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scriptures acknowledge none. So the Bible is very clear about what happens to people after they die. Are there any questions? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the clarity of the Bible in telling us what happens to us after we die. And Lord, I pray that these truths might uh, be very real in our consciousnesses as we think about our own mortality and we think about preparing for um, the world to come and preparing for our appearance before God. For it is impossible that a soul separated from its body can go anywhere but straight to God who gave it and then find from God a disposition to either uh, heaven or to hell. Father, I pray that we would be prepared for that appearance through repentance of sin and faith in Christ and thereby find redemption and reconciliation with you so that we are received by you into paradise and not damned by you into hell. Father, I pray that each one here would uh, soberly think about these matters and, and consider and reflect on uh, their own destiny, and prepare for that great day. In Jesus' name, amen.